a lot of people live in denial because they think that to be realistic is to be depressing. I'm Dr. Mike, host of Going There. It was the first song where I wrote about how I felt like my depression was killing me and I didn't want it. Going There breaks the stigma of mental health issues by having real honest conversations with your favorite musicians, including Alessia Cara, Lizzie Hale, Jewel, Jason Isbell, Gerard Way, Lauren Gray, Shamir, and Barty Strange. There was something there that was so raw where I was like, wow, I can't believe someone would say that. Let's go there on Going There with Dr. Mike, brought to you by Sound Mind Live and the Consequence Podcast Network every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is David Frangioni, CEO and publisher of Modern Drummer Magazine. So excited about our new podcast, The Modern Drummer Podcast. This weekly podcast will bring Modern Drummer to life. Sit back and enjoy fresh, fun, and insightful conversations with today's top drummers, producers, musicians, beat makers, and craftsmen. Whether you're a professional, a hobbyist, drummer, musician, programmer, producer, or just love music, this show is for you. Every other week, the Modern Drummer Podcast will feature world-renowned producer, songwriter, and drummer, Narda Michael Walden. Narda Michael Walden's Upbeat is featured exclusively on the Modern Drummer Podcast. I love you, Gray. <laughs> I love you, Narada. <laughs> How are you, bro? I love you ever since I first heard Visions of the Emerald Beyond, man. We are beyond. We are beyond <laughs> the Visions <laughs> of the Emerald. How you doing? It's a good life. I'm so happy to see you, man. And likewise, thank you. Yes, brother. You got your drums there. You want to play for us, huh? What do you want? What do you want to hear? I want you to just just let your heart speak to us, brother. Go. Beautiful, thank you. I also loved how you played in 3-4 for the Neil Peart tribute. Oh, that was very touching. Thank you so much. That was, I don't know if you got to hear what I was saying before I played, but the last time we jammed over here, Neil said, hey, could we just play in three all day? And I went, wow, that's not a request you usually get from your drummer bros, but it was super fun. So I wanted to play in three for that. That's beautiful, man. Greg, man, your energy is so pure. This is why we love you. I mean, you're a great drummer. You really are a great drummer. But also, you have such a uh, an uplifting spirit about you, and um, that's a big part of your of your um, your charm and your. Uh, when we open our hearts to you, we know that you bring only good energy. Well, Jim probably doesn't think my energy was so great when we were going from the phone to the computer to the light to the yellow. Jim probably thinks I'm a. I'm a knucklehead. I'm going, okay, we'll try that. But I like the phone. I like this yellow light. He's probably ready to strangle me. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. I love okay. you, man. Okay, you're about he loves you. Okay. <laughs> Great, man. So, Greg, man, let's go back just, if you don't mind, to our humble beginnings in uh, Michigan. Yeah. Uh, you're from Detroit. I'm from Kalamazoo. Anything yeah. you want to say about being raised in the Midwest? Absolutely. Both my parents, um, very, you know, working class Detroit family. 
my dad had a bread route for Tasty Bread. You remember Tasty Bread? I do know Tasty Bread, yeah. He drove a truck. He let me come on the truck all the time. We'd go to convalescent homes and uh, high schools and stores on Woodward Avenue. And every time we'd go in, my dad was a people person. And he just knew everybody's names, got along great with everybody, even if they didn't buy any bread. And my mom worked uh, at an insurance company, but she busted her butt and got home, got dinner ready for us. My dad left for his jazz gig. My dad was a a jazz drummer down at the Rooster Tail on Jefferson. And my mom played jazz vibes in his band. Oh, wow. uh, I grew up in a super musical family. You know, every night at dinner, we'd be listening to Coltrane and Miles and Dave Brubeck and Stan Kenton and Duke Ellington. My first concert was Basie. They took me to see the Count Basie band at Madison Heights High School in the gymnasium. And I remember sitting there going, Dad, this is going to be boring, man. You know, I like the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and rock. He goes, just wait a second. Count Basie's got the one finger. Doom, 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 ba, ba, ba. Going, Dad, this is going to be sleepy. All of a sudden, Basie makes a like a this like a gun with his finger in his, in his hand. It goes, bam, like he's shooting at the trombone section. They all stand up. And Rufus Jones, sick of the five trombones five trumpets screeching uh five saxophones and i said dad this is like led zeppelin yes that's right (laughs) that's it that's it you found it yeah i know and then i remember one night my dad played a gig at the ambassador hotel also on jefferson and he came out around 10 and he goes what is going on he he knew the food and beverage manager he's playing a wedding and he came out just to go to the bar on a break and he goes Bob, what's going on? There's thousands of screaming girls. And Bob said, Bud, the Beatles are staying upstairs. They're playing tomorrow night at Olympia Hockey Arena, where the Red Wings play. Now on the ice, Gordy Howe, number nine. He goes, the Beatles? My kids love the Beatles. My wife and I love the Beatles. Any chance, and this is my dad, right, the bread salesman, any chance of putting me close to six tickets, Bob? Bob says, Bud, are you out of your mind? It's the Beatles. They've been sold out for six months. He says, come back when your gig's over at 1 a.m. Come in the bar. I'll see what I can do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if he talked to Brian Epstein or Mal Evans or one of the techs or whatever. Mal was the kind of the everything. Anyway, he goes, bud, I got good and bad news for you. I got you six tickets for tomorrow night at Olympia Hockey Arena, but it's going to be 36 bucks total. Six bucks a ticket. And my dad, well, I'm making 50 on the gig. I'll clear 14. I'm in. Kids, we're going to see the Beatles. <laughs> Oh, great. That's big time. That's big time. Because at that time, you know, it was huge, 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 huge. We had never seen anything like it. No. The wave that came into our, into our country from, from, you know, the UK was incredible. And And I love downtime, you know, Kennedy had just been assassinated. The country was really down and, and the Beatles, Beatlemania, man, the Ed Sullivan show that just took us to a higher level. Right. Yes. But also Greg, check this out. Where you come from, Detroit, Michigan, is big inspiration for John Lennon and the Beatles. Absolutely. John said his favorite female vocalist was Mary Wells. Absolutely. The Supreme. So you see the connection between you in Detroit and them where they were. You know, Ringo's favorite drummer of all time. Guess who is? Here's a little okay. trivia guess. Thing. Who do you think it might be? His favorite drummer of all time, Ringo's. Because he was a kid in the hospital. He he spent a lot of his younger years in the hospital. He had peritonitis or all kinds of issues with uh, his intestines and stuff. And uh, I guess when he was probably 18 or 19, there was a drummer who was a solo artist. And he had kind of a drum solo, kind of like this. Not Gene Krupa, but... 
Oh, yeah. Okay. Cozy Cole. Oh, my God. Okay. He says, Cozy Cole as I live oh. and breathe. And that's his hero. He, he said, Buddy Rich to him. He said, he just played so fast. It sounded like my son cymbals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. He liked Gene Krupa. Here's a shot of Gene Krupa and I with my dad. This is on, uh, on, uh, on, the, on the west side of Detroit. Gene played with the Benny Goodman band. And my dad, his sax player in his wedding band, was hosting a party for Gene. Now, Gene Krupa was the nicest guy on the planet, like a Louis Belson yeah. type guy. But he could be, as you know, pretty crusty sometimes. But okay. one of our heroes, you know. Of course. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> but those are some of my Detroit memories. We had a band called Grand Circus Park. It was a park down in, like, MacArthur Park here in L.A., and uh, we, we we did a lot of Motown. We did a lot of Chicago, the band Chicago, tons of Beatles, Led Zeppelin, uh, just all kinds of cover tunes or played the high school dances and stuff. Wow. And my brother, Matt, my favorite bass player, we, we were in that band together. And my sister, Kathy, she works out here for AEG Live. They own the Staples Center in the Greek and she does Coachella and stuff. So super musical family. But man, I, I miss Detroit a lot of times. I don't miss the weather. Right, right. Right. It's right. got like two months, a month of summer, and the state bird is the mosquito. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. Speak yeah. about, speak about the um, the love of musicality from people in in Michigan. It seems like everyone has such a love of music and could play really well. Yeah, speak about I, that and on, on any level. I agree. I mean, I went to a really great school where we had a great jazz band program, and we played all kinds of you know blood, sweat, and tears songs and. Yeah. We played James Brown songs and our band director. This guy was so hip that he wrote. I didn't even know what Giant Steps was when I was in the ninth grade. But he was such a hip sax player, orchestrator, arranger that when we marched on the field. We marched to whole notes playing the changes of Giant Steps. Ba, 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 ba. And I was like, that's pretty cool. What is that later at North Texas State? My friend said, that's giant steps, man. Cool train. Beautiful, beautiful. A Detroit high school band director, man. Right. Is there any connection that you have to Motown? Anything in the Stevie world, Marvin Gaye world, anything from, and from that side you can speak about? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I just played a gig Saturday in Pennsylvania with uh, Reggie McBride. And Reggie right. and I are both from Detroit. And Reggie has played with everybody. He's a wonderful bass player. And he played on fulfilling this first finale. Yes, and he did. played on... And he played bass on that. And he, I played with Stevie one time, and it was super, super fun. It was actually an audition. And this audition, I was scared out of my mind. I had just moved to L.A., and there was a line of people, like 30 drummers. And then the road manager came up and said, Stevie doesn't always show up, like, right at three. He lives in his own world, you know? So people started splitting, like, at four and five. Mm -hmm. And the guy says, just stick around. He's going to show up. Mm -hmm. And I could look in the room at SIR. There's a drum set and a Yamaha electric grand and a mini mode. Mm -hmm. And... uh, I stayed till like eight. I was the last one that stayed. And Stevie walks in at eight o'clock. Yeah. Hey, drummer, let's play. 
Mm-hmm. Whoa. And I had stayed up all night writing little file cards out of like, what's you going to want me to play, right? Cheat mm-hmm. sheets, you know? Mm-hmm. He said, what do you want to play? And do I do it? Just come on the radio. Oh, that was okay. his single. And he and Dennis Davis, I think they might have had a spat or something. And I kind of think Stevie was just saying, well, I'll just audition some drummers to kind of freak out Dennis. But anyway, because he ended up keeping Dennis. Okay. But anyway, he said, what do you want to play? I said, how about do I do? And I had a little song starter. Boom, 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 boom. He goes, you started. And I started playing the groove. And he's playing a bass part, Yamaha Electric Grand. And he started singing, when I see you on the street, my whole body gets weak. I start crying, man, oh, crying. Yeah. I am playing 10 feet away from Stevie. And he's, yeah. you know, up front there. And then he says, okay, what else you want to play? And I said, uh, how about Master Blaster? He goes, you start. Play that one. He goes, okay, okay, okay. Now we played two songs you want to play. Now we're going to play something I want to play. I go, oh, no. I hope it's in these 20 file cards I have. (laughs) He goes, do you know Contusion? I said, Contusion? Yeah. I know it, but I don't know it, and I know it's in odd times, you know, not visions of the Emerald Beyond, but it's, mm. he goes, well, don't worry, it, it goes from five to seven, just follow my head. Yeah, that's right. Follow your head. Yeah, follow I my head, folded, man. man. <laughs> follow just, my head, man. And then he goes, lead me back to the drums. So I go up, I get to hold Stevie Wonder's hand, man. I lead him back, he feels the high hand, he sits down, he doesn't hold his sticks like this fulcrum grip, you know. Oh, he doesn't hold traditional. He, he just grabs them like clubs, man. Mm-hmm. And he says, could you play this groove? And his hi-hat's going, all wrist, you know. And then his bass drum. It was Love Light's Flight. He had just programmed that drum machine. And he's playing it. And I know you could probably do that. But for me, with a single bass drum. Ain't going to sound too too sexy, right? Yeah. So he goes, could you play that after we just nails it? And I said, Stevie, not like that, man. He goes, well, thank you so much for coming down. Oh, that's a beautiful <laughs> story, Greg. And Dennis did the tour. But anyway, Reggie and I had a blast talking about it. Well, I got to tell you, man, Reggie McBride and I have history. I joined a band with Tommy Bowen, and we toured together. And on the bass was Reggie. So I know him very well. And he was great. The band Tommy Bowen, McBride. what a guitarist. Yeah, Tommy, Mark Stein on organ, and G- Norma Jean Bell from Detroit, and yeah. myself. So Reggie and I are very close. I'll tell him you said hi. Yes, we I love him. All weekend. Yeah. And you know Ralph Armstrong, because you were in... Yeah. He was 17 years old at the time. How old were you on Visions? Yeah. On, seven, on, well, on Apocalypse, he'd be 17, and then Visions, he'd be 18. Okay. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> yeah. Crazy, man. Crazy. Yeah. So, so dig, man. Your chops are phenomenal. How did you get to be so independent? You ever told me Nirvana Michael Walden would tell me in 1975 when I'm listening to that album that my chops are good? I would have said, yeah. "You're out of your mind." Oh no, you are. You really are. Your brain has found a way to be able to dissect and do four and five different things at the same time. Well, oh. I see you, man. We we all see you. Oh, so thanks. I mean, you know, there, it means a lot to me. Well, you are. I mean, my question is, how did you develop that? Well, I I think having musical parents, you know, that always were, you know, taking us to see Cal Basie, taking us to see the Beatles and taking us to see Elvin Jones. I just, I'm a student of the drums and I love taking lessons. I was telling you in a text earlier that I got to become really great friends and take lessons for a couple of years. 
with Tony Williams. And I've just always had great teachers. My first teacher I had when I moved to LA was David Garibaldi, you know, talk about the Bay Area. <clears throat> and I just love studying. Do you know about Mike Mitchell? Yes. I mean, He's, you can tell me more. I mean, I know a little bit. Tell me more. Mike Mitchell, <clears throat> AKA Black Dynamite, he is going to be my next teacher because we're really good friends. <clears throat> I called him a couple months ago. I asked Kirsten at Silicon, hey, can I get Mike Mitchell's number? Because I just want to tell him what a fan I am of him. He, every drum student I have, their favorite drummer now, you know, he's 25. Oh, yeah. Mike Mitchell. So I, I call him up. I go, man, I love your playing. I listen to you nonstop on YouTube. I watch your Mike Mitchell compilation. You do stuff that I just can't figure out what you're doing. Do you teach? And I can't, I'm so glad to talk to you and meet you. He goes, you don't remember meeting me? Mm-hmm. So when? He goes, in Dallas at the Drummers for Jesus Festival when I was 11. Uh-huh. My mom took me and I said, you were that 11-year-old? Right, see? So, but I just... I just love studying and, and learning. My degree in, in college was music education. Yeah. And I just love all styles of music. I mean, I love the drumming for sure in all styles of music. I got to be honest for you and your viewers. Yeah. There's certain things I can't hang with. I can't hang with death metal, cookie monster vocals. <laughs> Sounds satanic to me. It scares me. Oh, okay. I can't hang with really super hardcore gangster hip hop, F-bombs and mm-hmm. GDs and all this stuff. I'm a Christian guy. Mm-hmm. And my kids, I was going, can we play that? But the clean version? Right. Dad, the explicit version, so much better. Not in my house. man. Got it. So I love the drumming. Yes. I love guys like Chris Dave and Questlove and, and, and Dave Illich and so many great, great drummers. Hey, uh, man, I got to I got to stop you. Yeah. Now I know you. T- you're talking about Michael Mitchell, the cat who played drums for Stanley Clark. He's Stanley's drummer. Yeah, that's, that's he's a beast. He, he's so are you? Beast. Oh <laughs> no, but he's to know a beast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's great him. and mm-hmm. super, super humble guy. Yeah, he's back in Dallas visiting his mom right now. Like, how okay. cool is that? Okay. you know, <laughs> taking care of his mom. He's a great friend, and you're a great new friend. I'm so honored to be on your show. Oh, I love you, man. I wanted to have you on immediately. Uh, when I saw you also, you were speaking about your new um, um, class you're hold, hosting oh, the for, drums, for drums DW. School. Yeah. And I, I saw how beautiful you were putting that together. And then when I saw you on this thing for Neil Purr again, I felt like I really, really wanted to bond with you. In addition to the fact, in addition to the fact that you play with one of the most charismatic cats in the planet who taught all of us how to flirt and with all the girls and swing at the same time is Ringo. So, man, you got it all going on. Amen. <laughs> you got that swing, you know? And uh, can I tell you a quick story about how I got that gig? Yeah, please do. So, do you know who Mark Hudson is? Mm. Remember the Hudson brothers? Hang on. Is he, the, is he a producer guy? He's kind a producer. producer He's yeah. a Beatle fanatic like we are. He can sing like John and Paul. Mm-hmm. He produces... He produced like four Ringo albums, produces Bon Jovi, um, Ozzy Osbourne, Steven Tyler, Aerosmith. Anyway, so I get this call at midnight. Hey, Greg, I'm doing a Steven Tyler album, man. Can you get down here? We're going to, we need drums on a song. I'm like, wow, it's midnight, Mark. My son had a bad dream. I'm trying to get him back to sleep. I'll be there at 9 a.m. He says, man, we need you now. I said, I'll be there at 8 a.m. We need you now. So I, I said, wow, okay, so. He says, but I just finished producing Ringo's album and his drums are still set up. If you come down now, you can play on Ringo's drums. Ah, wow. Click. Mm-hmm. Down the 101, down the 405, Santa Monica. So I figure, you know how we get, you know, I'm sure Jim probably says, okay, Narada, let me hear that kick drum. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, and, and then 10 minutes later, okay, snare. 
Okay, mm-hmm. Tom, we're getting a little rattled from the Tom and the stare and the Tom. I just said, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm just going to play every single Ringo beat I know. That's right. Because I want to play in Ringo's band someday. And Sheila E. was the last drummer before me. And then the guy, uh, Simon Kirk from Bad Company and Levon Helm from the band. So anyway, uh, I just started playing every Ringo beat I know, you know. for like 15 minutes to get sounds and mark walks in he goes you i've heard you're a ringo fanatic but you really are a ringo fanatic if his son zach is out with the who next month mm-hmm. then i want you to do this next tour oh great what? yeah and he said does your brother have a hoffner bass i said does dolly parton sleep on her back mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. so he said well he's got the gig too <laughs> great perfect timing that was oh three i was 17 years ago that was ringo and the roundheads his band when they go out and do TV shows on his solo albums, because he plays on his own solo albums. But then in, in 05, he said, I love playing with you, double drums. It's really fun. I'd love to have you in the all-star band, but you got to have three top 10 hits you sang. And I said, well, that's never going to happen because the all-star band is like a revolving cast of people who sing their songs. I said, well, that's never going to happen. In 08, I was praying. I just went through a brutal divorce. I had 50-50 custody of my kids. I go, God, help me find a gig that pays better than any gig I've ever had, but that doesn't take me out for very long, right? Mm-hmm. Ringo just does these five-week tours once a year. The next morning, Narada, Ringo's manager, hey, Greg, it's Bruce. Ringo just called. He's run out of drummers with top 10 hit singles that he loves playing with you. You got the gig in the All-Star Band this tour. Oh. It was 08. So the power of prayer, man. Yeah, there you go. It works, see? I love that. I love that. And I also want to tell you, I do know Mark Hudson. I went to Miles Copeland. Um, yeah, that song Camp Castle, thing. exactly. The produ- production yeah. thing in Europe, yeah. I hung out with him for a couple of weeks, so I do know he's, him. Of course, I do. He's a funny cat, man. Weird, wild, 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 wild. weird. Fruit crazy. Loops. <laughs> no <laughs> filter, zero filter. Fruit Loops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> beautiful. Tell me something about Ringo. You mentioned something on a text to me that I thought was very, very beautiful. You said something that people don't really know. Is it okay if yeah. I mention it? Yeah, I think I'm talking about the snare drum thing. Is it okay if I mention it? Yeah. Absolutely. What so you think, you Ringo, say um, yeah. and we better turn it up. I was going to turn my air on, but it's kind of loud. Oh. Ringo had his drum kit Narada, at the Grammy Museum down in L.A. about yeah. five years ago. And he said, you see that snare right there? I said, of course, that's the snare that you bought. I'm kind of a geek. Yeah. That's the snare when you and Brian Epstein came down from Liverpool and went to London. You went to Ivor Arbiter's Drum City, and you bought that kit because Ivor was the distributor for Ludwig. And it was the downbeat Ludwig kit with that finish, and they didn't have the piccolo snare, so they sold you the five and a half. He said, yeah, enough technical talk. You yeah. see that burn right there? I said, yeah, there's like, like a burn mark on the snare in the plastic. He said, when the guys were writing, I'd have a cigarette down here with smoke it and the cigarette burned the plastic there. And he said, that's the, nobody knows this. He said, that's the only snare mm-hmm. I ever used on any Beatles songs. From She Loves You to Love Me Do to Please Please Me, really cranked up high to mm-hmm. Day in the Life. Mm-hmm. And even up on the roof playing Get Back, mm-hmm. it's tuned low. From yeah. calf skin heads to plastic heads, he just used that one snare drum mm-hmm. on everything. He even carried it in a gig bag on the plane, Pan Am, to the Ed Sullivan shows, man. Yeah. That one snare drum. Beautiful. I would not know that. That's great. I, had I know, no I know idea. that drum's got a great sound. On the, on the Ed Sullivan show, that thing was swinging, man. That's swinging. And that, was, that's worth, as my dad would say in Detroit, that snare's worth a couple bucks. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So, what drums are you got in here? What do you? What, what's that's all the spark I see? D I X O N. They're my favorite drum company. They're real thin maple shells, and I just love thin maple shells. They do all hand lacquered. I've got a turquoise hand lacquer kit right here. The Ringo Tour. I have a hand lacquered purple kit. And Jim Uting, my buddy from Dixon and I, we were backstage with Jeff Chonis, our drum tech, on an all-star tour. And Ringo came back in catering. I said, hey, Ringo, instead of the turquoise kit, on the next tour, I'm thinking of doing a purple kit. You know, purple's his favorite color. He says, purple is energy, brother. It's energy. I said, but I want to do a a purple sparkle. And he looked at this plant on the table that was kind of lavender. He said, I love it. Purple's great, but don't do a light purple like Mm -hmm. this flower. Do deep purple like the band, brother. Right. That's it. That's it. So I call it the deep purple, like the band kit. Mm-hmm. And these drums, they're my favorite drums. The first time I played them on a, on a, a rehearsal with Ringo, he didn't notice that they were a different brand like mm-hmm. seven years ago. And he walked up to the front and he looked around. He said, Dixon. I said, yeah. He says, that's a new company for you. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, they're real thin maple shells. The last company I was with stopped making maple shells. He says, why did they do that? I said, I don't know. He said, Dixon. Do you love them? I said, I love them. He says, well, they sound great. Willie Dixon, he said. And he did this. He goes, Willie Dixon, peace and love. And I went, he just quoted one of the greatest blues, you know, bass player songwriters who his family sued Led Zeppelin and won because he wrote a whole lot of love and they ripped them off word for word. So Willie Dixon. So now I associate Dixon with Willie Dixon. Oh, I love it. That's wonderful, man. Say Ringo Sharp, man. He's a sharp cat. Yeah, He's just turned 80 years young. Were you around when Clarence Clemens played with him? No, Clarence was in the first all-star band in 89. Yeah. I'll get this all-star band. We'll have like 10 people and they can sing their hits. And I'll even get Clarence from Bruce Springsteen's band. I love Clarence. And I'll get my friend Levon Helm and he can sing The Weight like he did with the band, you know, and Bob Dylan. I'll have him play on my right side and I'll have my pal Jim Keltner on my left side. Three drum sets. Rick Danko from the band, he had uh, his buddy, his best friend and brother-in-law, Joe Walsh, uh, Nils Lofgren. Yes, he had great. Dr. John playing oh, keyboards man. and Billy Preston. Oh, my God. Keyboard. Yeah. So that was 89, and I joined in 08. Beautiful. Just beautiful, man. For those who are trying to make it in the world, I know you're very uh, in- insightful. But I want to ask you, was it difficult leaving Detroit? and then going to California, and how did you make it? Was it hard, that, that, that transition time? Yeah, what a great question. Thank yeah. you. And I'm going to dig deep into my emotions. In 1977, I graduate. I've got a girlfriend, and we're really in love. And I love my mom and dad and my brother and sister. And I had, check this out, this is pretty Detroit. I had a 1972 red Grand Torino with the white stripe, a Starsky and Hatch car. I load my Slingerland kit in there, my little stereo where i'm playing your albums and uh and i'm driving away and i'm waving and i'm crying like a baby and i drive all the way down to texas i went to north texas state did four years got my music ed degree moved out here to la my dream was always to live in los angeles and even at north texas i'd tell some of the professors they said what do you want to do yeah so well, i'm getting my music ed degree so if i don't make it playing i can teach Band. I don't want to teach high school band because then you got to do marching band on the weekends and your summer's cut in half because you go to band camp. I want to be a junior high band director. My buddy's a junior high band director here in L.A. He locks the door at two o'clock in the afternoon on Friday. Doesn't go back in until eight. He doesn't have to do weekends or anything. He makes 80 grand a year. And uh, when he retires in three years, he makes 60 grand a year until he dies. And I'm like, you know, 18 going, OK, I'll, I'll be a band director if I don't make it playing. My professors are saying, you want to move to L.A. and be a 
touring and recording session drummer? That's impossible. So why is it impossible? Well, I know a little bit about L.A. These are guys that never played gigs. They just know how to teach. Because session guys, you know, if they go out of town, then the next session guy comes up and they don't get calls from the, from the producers or the contractors anymore. And if you're a road guy and you turn down a tour to do a session, and I said, well, what about this guy named Steve Gadd? Yeah. Rochester, New York. He lives in New York City. He plays on a buttload of albums mm-hmm. and a boatload of tours with Paul Simon, James Taylor, mm-hmm. you name it. Yeah. It can be done. You know, so that yeah, was because he, he's career. that great and you were that great. That's well, what it is. I'm just honored that I get to do that. And, but it was hard. I mean, it was hard to leave my friends and my family. It was not hard to leave the weather in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And um, as much as I love Detroit, there, there were so many little clicks that were impenetrable. Okay. If you were in one click, because mm-hmm. it, it's a really not a big town like LA right. or you know New York, and and there was a lot of competitive. And I was only eighteen when I left, but even my teachers said, "Oh, you're either a jazz guy or a funk guy." Well, the the, the funk brothers they were jazz players that Gordy would bring down in the Motown still. Okay, play play this Motown beat, you know. But anyway, there was mm-hmm. the jazz click, and there was the funk click, and there was the rock click. Mm-hmm. It was, I never heard a country until I got to Dallas and started playing train beats. And so I knew about rock, funk, and jazz. But it, those clicks were pretty impenetrable. In L.A., in San Francisco, in New York City, people don't care. If you, you played with Mahavishnu Orchestra. You wrote and produced Freeway of Love for Aretha. You worked with Sting. You're going to get ready to play in my favorite rock band of all time, Journey. You have transcended the click BS, you know, and, and, and that part of Detroit, I don't miss. I see. I see. I got you. I got you. But I love Detroit. I yeah. love going to Lion Games, playing drums at the Detroit Lion Games and the Tigers. And I'll always be a Detroiter at heart. But I just, I love, I love California. I love yeah. the weather. I love the people. I love the gigging possibilities. Every morning you wake up, mm-hmm. people say, oh, yeah, well, you know, I'm moving to Nashville because uh, it's cheaper. I go, well, L.A. is to me. The record, the, the music capital of the world, the movies, the TV shows. Last week I played a Family Guy. I mean, yeah. I couldn't be playing on Family Guy if I was in Nashville or Detroit. And I do, I do tours, I do albums with all kinds of different styles. It's the entertainment capital of the world. The movie industry is here, the TV industry. When bands do albums, they usually come to LA. When they audition, they usually do it in LA. As much as I hate the, the taxes, I'm never leaving. <laughs> right, right. So then, okay, one more time. I just want to make sure I, I catch this little hook here. From the time you 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 land in LA, and then you to the time you start making some money. Yeah. What was that feeling like? How did you hang on when it wasn't, you know, happening yet? You know what I mean? Well, I'm trying to get to that so people can well, feel like we can I'm we can do this. Honest. You know. I'm going to be honest because you yeah. asked because there was a lot of anxiety yeah. at first because I had like I don't know three grand to my name, yeah. and that doesn't last a lot a long time in LA in 1982 when you're paying gas and club cover charges and drink minimums and your insurance at 22 and your food and your union dues and this and that and your rent and everything. So I was stressing, but what's always gotten me through everything. And I'm only going to, I'm not a preachy guy, but I'm just going to say, cause you asked, I've always been a strong Christian and I always know that prayer is like, if you ask, if you knock, you know, and I ask and I knock all the time about everything. So just giving it to God is, is the way I got through it. I would have just had a nervous breakdown and moving here at 22. And then I had this list of people that I was going to call because my 
North Texas State one o'clock band director said, well, a lot of graduates from North Texas State live in LA. Call these 30 people. So I'm calling and I'm calling and I'm calling back, trying to be aggressive, you know, politely persistent. And guys are saying, it's 1982. Why did you move here? Mm-hmm. So well, I want to be a recording session and touring drummer. What were you doing in Dallas? I was playing in this killer funk band called Buster Brown. We did Earth, Wind & Fire, Stevie Wonder. We mm-hmm. had originals. We didn't have a record deal, but I was doing jingles and industrial jingles, not big time jingles, but and I was making a good living there, trying to let him know that I worked. He goes, yeah. why'd you move here? Yeah. There's a union strike right now. Well, there's a pandemic right now, but we're still doing stuff. I said, well, I, I think the strike's going to be solved soon. Just trying to stay positive. It's like Louis Belson, you know, the glass is always half full. That's and right. I tell younger drummers, mm-hmm. man, younger musicians, I said, it's half half of the pie is how you play. Do yeah. you know all your different styles? Do you love all styles? Can you read music? Can you play with a click? Are you musical? Can you sing? All that stuff's half of the pie. But as you well know and live, the other half of the pie is what kind of person are you? Mm-hmm. Are you somebody that people want to be around? Do you mm-hmm. lift people up? Or are you on the tour bus dogging people and complaining and putting people down and bullying? That just makes you look insecure. Lift people up and people will want to hang around you. And that's the that's the full pie that I try to, when I do drum clinics at my drum school at Drum Channel, I try to tell young drums. Greg, where did you get your spiritual foundation? Where did you get my that? My parents and my grandmother, I grew up in a family in Detroit. And we went to church and we sang songs and I thought I wanted to be a pastor when I was a kid. Okay. I actually had a little altar and I would, I would, you know, kind of memorize Bible verses and, and, you know, the first thing I memorized was the Lord's prayer, you know, but I, I later realized, man, I mean, my pastor committed suicide when I was in high school. This guy, this poor guy, you know, you end up being the counselor of the city of Detroit, you know, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, how much can you take? So I, I bailed on the pastor thing. I just said, I want to try to, I can remember playing with David Lee Roth and, ha- and inviting a guy to a, to my first show at the forum. And he goes, oh, brother, I can't get behind David Lee Roth because he spits out Jack Daniels and there's girls that flash, you know, I said, hey. This is the world, man. Yeah. So are you, do you think Jesus just hung out with great cats? Mm-hmm. No, he hung out with the worst of them and they became his disciples, man. Right. So you got to be a light in the world. And if you only hang out in church with other people that believe what you believe, who are you helping? You know, mm-hmm. come to the show. Oh, I can't come to the show. Okay. Or some people said, how can you record with Ozzy Osbourne? He's turned people onto the dark side. I said, Ozzy Osbourne's one of the nicest guys I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he probably has inadvertently or advertently turned people onto the dark side, but I'm not on the dark side. We're going to cover John Lennon's In My Life. Right. And Ozzy says, let's do In My Life. But let, and Mark Hudson produced it. But let's do it slower, oh, heavier, brother. Yeah. There are places oh. I remember. I'm going, wow. Okay. Oh, God, so, great. I don't know. I, I think you and I both, we we don't turn things down because we think oh we're good we try to be a light i know you're a light you're i remember your modern drummer cover when you had all the flowers man i go that's a cool modern drummer (laughs) thank you thank you i love your cover too man thank you beautiful covers thanks so let's let's go to this you studied with tony williams yeah can i tell you how i i got yeah go ahead so i'm up in san francisco doing an album with Joe Satriani. I, my brother, Matt, and I, we played on a bunch of Joe Satriani albums. Some of them down at Ocean Way, East West, with Andy Johns, the guy that produced Led Zeppelin. But he said, hey, come up to San Fr- come up to this place called The Site. You probably know that place. Yeah. 
right? Got a big view of the window. I'm going, this is so great. And we had a U-Haul with like 10 drum kits. Had a little bebop kit, had a John Bonham kit, had the Hal Blaine Hawaii Five O kit, had kind of a Motown kit, super dead sounding, even had some little holes in there, had kind of a Gadsden, James Gadsden feel. And Joe said, we're going to cut all kinds of different songs. And I said, well, I'm taking a lesson with Tony Williams tomorrow. I'm going to bring this bebop kit and see if he'll play drum, double drums. Well, back up about a month. And I, I read Bay Area Magazine, and I see this little dinky black and white ad, Tony Williams now accepting private drum student. Tony Williams, mm-hmm. four and more miles in the sky, Nefertiti, mm-hmm. life, you know, lifetime, believe it, what? Mm-hmm. So I call him up, and I leave a message on his phone machine. Yeah, this is Tony Williams. Leave a message. Ooh, that's kind of intimidating. <laughs> Tony, my name's Greg Bissonette. I'm a drummer down in L.A., and I'd really love to study with you, man. Please call me. And so before I left L.A., I went to the grocery store and I came home and my lights blinking. Maybe it's Tony. All of a sudden, yo, Greg, Tony Williams. <sighs> my heart sinks. He goes, I'm all filled up with my private students. But my wife, Colleen, said that she knows your best friend and roommate, Mark Cranny from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And she said, you're a good guy. So come on up. Give me a call. Oh. And I call him. I said, Tony, I, I can't. I'm so excited to come up. He goes, well. Just come on up next week. I got to tell you one thing first, though. I said, what? He goes, I charge you 100 bucks an hour cash. I said, Tony, my accountant is $275 an hour. I don't even like him. Can I take three lessons tomorrow? <laughs> so we just became really good friends. And I, I bugged him. I said, hey, on, on like the fifth or sixth lesson, I had that album from the session at the site in my rent. I had that drum set from the, the site in my rent car. I said, Tony, I got a bebop kit in my car. Could I? come in and play double drums with you. And he had the big yellow and red DW kit with two bass drums. And uh, he said, oh, well, let's just play on, on my, on my uh, DW kit. And I said, I pushed it. And I went, should I do this? I said, but I'd kill to play double drums with you. He goes, go get it. So I go get it and I set it up. And he comes in and we played for about a half hour. I have a cassette of it. And afterwards he said, that was actually fun. He goes, I haven't played double drums since 1963 with Max Roach. And I went, I did a Charlie (laughs) Keller. What did you say? I said, that symbol you used on four or more. He goes, you want to see it? You have it? Come in the garage. And he shows me. He goes, Max gave me this when I got the gig with Miles. And he said, if you're going to play this, hit the beep out of it. And I did. And it was a spring. You just wore it out. It's nothing but a spring now. That K Zildjian on Four more on all those albums. Oh man. Let's tell one more Tony story. So Tony says, Hey man, he's smoking a cigar. I hate cigar smoke, but I put up with it because it's Tony. I'm like, (laughs) he goes, Hey man, I'm thinking about coming down to LA and doing some recording sessions. And I I know you do some recording sessions. Could you turn me on to some producers? And I wanted to start doing, you know, he wanted to make more money, you know. Yeah, sure. We all need to, you know. That's right. Absolutely. Are you kidding? I'll just say the word and people will hire Tony Williams. I said, but can I ask you a question? He goes, what? I said, if, if they want to, you know, he, big, huge bass drum, maybe a felt strip, no holes. I said, if a producer wants you to cut a hole in it and put like a packing blanket or a sandbag or something in there, would you be cool with it? No way. No beeping way. I said, if, if they like your snare drum, kank, kank, and it's got that kank, but they want you to tune it down like Don Henley and Gaffer tape it all up, make it sound like ELO, doof, Jim Keltner, I mean, Keltner or Kunkel or something. Would you do that? He goes, no, beep it, wait, forget it. Mm-hmm. 
So he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to change his sound. Yeah. That yeah. was his sound. Right. But I, but I have a story. I have a story to tell you. Okay. Okay. My first album I ever produced was for Don Cherry. He played pocket trumpet for Ornette Coleman. I know Don Cherry. Okay. This would be like in '75. Yeah. Maybe something like that. So somewhere, somewhere around there. Anyway, yeah. as a producer, I wanted to hire Tony Williams on a track, and yeah. he he came to play at, at uh-huh. Jimmy Hendrix's studio, and I did what you asked. I said. Tony, uh, I know you're touchy about your sound, but I think it'd be good for this sound that we're going for if I can put a little thing in the bass drum. And he said, okay. He did. He said, okay. He respected But, but there again, he, he had respect for me. He respected you. He's yeah. not going to do that to Johnny Bag of Donuts, no, the rock no. producer. Yeah. But I was going to share that with you. He did say, okay. I said, and we got a great sound. It was, you know, he was happy. Did you cut a hole in the head? Um... I don't know that we cut a hole. I think we just kind of just put something in there to kind of make it like, so we can get a, get a good thing as opposed to Punch, just yeah. boom, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And he was wow. happy about it. So I was like, oh. Wow. And, it, and, and then we kind of became friendly. Yeah, he was sweet, actually. That is Smoking a, a cigar, you know? And, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That is a great story. I'm yeah. so glad to hear that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Well, okay. I want to ask you just a few more things because I just love you so much. Come um, on. Love is you anything too. you want to say to our fans at this time? Anything, any, any message you want to put out? Yeah, it's just, you know, they all say the golden rule. I don't know where that came from. That's not in the Bible. But they say the golden rule. Treat other people the way you treat they treat you. I don't think that's the golden rule. I think the golden rule is treat other people the way you wish they would treat you. Oh, you know, yes. And that, that goes for anybody, any step of the way in life. We are all God's people. And we got to respect each other. And we got to love each other. And if you're in a band with somebody that's not quite making it, try to try to help them out. Try to, and also musicians, if you do have an issue with somebody, say some guitar player just had his quadruple mocha chocolate yaya at Starbucks and they're rushing like a madman. Instead of calling them out over the whole band, yeah, just hey Bob, you know, come on over here real quick. You know, I got this loop in my headphones and you, it's here, and I'm trying my best to play with that loop, but you are just. I have to turn you off in my headphones. You're turning me off, bro? Yeah, because you're messing with my group. Why don't you try to just kick it back a little bit? Or the bass player whose girlfriend just broke up with him. And boom, 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 boom. <laughs> you know, hey, man, try to get, you know, get in the pocket. Let's both, if there's a click track, the Pro Tools, let's look at the Pro Tools and have it go boom, and there's my kick, and there's your bass note. Let's be one. Let's play together. But don't call them out in front of other people. Gotcha. As you know, Narada and everybody here listening, Narada and I, we sit on the riser, and I'm sure this will be that way with Journey, one of my favorite bands, but you got Neil Sean, Jonathan King, and, you know, from Greg Raleigh to Steve Smith to Ainsley Dunbar to, you know, Steve Ajiri to, you know, uh, so many singers, it's still Neil Sean's band. So you're going to sit there, you're going to watch the dynamics. And we have this perch that we're on and we just get to check everything out and just watch the vibe. But at the end of the day, if we can, you know, really be drummers are kind of like the referees. A lot That's of right. That's and right. you're a producer. Producers yes. are producers are often referees. You know, you, music is the most important thing, but you got to, I listened to an interview of yours where you're saying, Hey, you know, with Mariah Carey, she had the hair covered in her face and she was shy. Can I get you a cup of coffee, a tea? You know, what can I make it easier for you to do? We want people to be comfortable. Yes. And that's what we make music the best. And between you and Randy Jackson, two of my favorite musicians, two, one of my favorite drummers of all time, one of my favorite bass players of all time, and you guys know people. 
So I would just say to younger players, it's a people business. Right. And if you think you're just going to go in there and play your right stuff and then turn into Mr. Attitude or you don't want to hang, you know, don't talk about politics. Don't even mm. talk about things that divide people. Just talk about music. Yes. And, and you get on the tour bus, you know, people have different opinions. Respect everybody's opinion, freedom of speech, and just be, just try to be somebody that lifts people up. That would be what I'd say That's to your beautiful. listeners. That, that is beautiful, man. Musicians. Greg, you're such a good, good, good man. You're, oh. you're good and you're great. Oh, you have both sides. You have both sides, man. You're you're great because you are great, but you're even greater because you're good. Oh. Yeah, man. That's what I want to say to you. Thank you so much. And then I want to say to you, I love the fact that you have a lot of fun in what you do. Like I got your Mars video, your new song, Killer, man. Thank and, you. And, that's and, my and, and the Will Robinson thing out in space. All and I just vibe all night long on the space thing in my brain. And I wanted to do a thing with you where I, I can put you on the green screen and put you out in space. And I want to do like. I say a word and you you say something back to me. I want to do like a little play with you. Can we do that? You better believe it. Okay. Thank you so much here, for listening. Okay, here we go. Ready? It's all my brother Matt doing that. Writing, producing, playing bass, everything. Okay. Are you ready? Ready. Okay. Orange. Okay, do I have to use one word or can I talk about it? You can do whatever you want to do from outer space. Okay, I'm in outer space that you say orange. Yeah. I was in a band in high school a family group called the Charette family. And they loved orange so much. They had a GMC orange motorhome we traveled in. We all wore, wore orange shirts and white pants. It was like the Partridge family, you know, kind of. But anyway, it was great. And and they, they everything was orange, orange, orange. You go to their house, it's orange. And the second thing is being in Amsterdam on Orange Day. That's their state, that's their national color. So thank you, good it. question. Grand Funk Railroad. Don Brewer. <laughs> Man, that, that album with the, you know, and Todd Rengren, one of the Ringo All-Star members, he was the whiz kid, young guy, 22. He produced that album. I was like, Todd, you produced Grand Funk at 22. What was that like? That's a Michigan band right there. Oh, incredible, incredible. Grand Funk. Oh, yeah. Ray Charles. Ray Charles, I did one gig, one session with Ray, and, and the rumors were true. My buddy John Bryant, he was Ray's drummer for years in the 70s, and he told me that Ray loved being paid in cash. And when he got paid in cash, then they split. So we're at the record plan, and I know you're close with Quincy. So Quincy delegates Jerry Hay, this great trumpet player, to produce You Are My Sunshine for Brother Ray, right? So I'm going, wow, Ray Charles is going to be here. And we're at the record plant, this big room. There's a grand piano in the front. And Ray walks in. <clears throat> we all have charts. And it was like a Texas shuffle. <laughs> you are my sunshine. You know, and he plays it. He's swinging it. Yeah, there's a click track, you know, but it was, you know, this is like 1999, 96 or something like that. Maybe, maybe before that, I forget. But anyway, he does this take. And Jerry Hay, being so respectful, he goes, that was great. Big band, that was super great. Ray, you sang your butt off. We're just going to do another take right now. And Ray says, what? He said, we're just going to do another take. He goes, you got my money, right? Somebody comes up and gives him a sack of money. Oh, yeah. Cool, I'm done. And he oh, yeah. laughed. That's it. And Jerry's like, no, we need some alternate takes so we can fly some things in. And his manager goes, ain't going to be no net, no, no, net no, alternate no, no. takes. 
<laughs> and that's it, bro. And by the way, I'm on that same album with you. I did, I did really? four tracks, and you have four tracks. Yeah, on the same album. Check it out. Wow, man. <laughs> yeah. And we're both from Michigan. Michigan. Okay, Aretha Franklin. Oh, well, I because I'm talking to you. Yeah. I remember sitting in David Lee Roth's basement, and we're rehearsing for an album. And he says that he's been in touch with Narada Michael Wallen. I said, you've been in touch with Narada Michael Wallen? He said, yeah. I said, he did that Aretha song that's on the radio that I love so much, you know, Freeway of Love and this big Cadillac. And Dave said, yeah, that's why I called him. He might be, he might be producing us, writing a song with us. I and wrote a song that's called, it was called Night Train, uh, like, like a smooth alligator. Say that a song again. called Night Train, like a smooth alligator. And he you took a picture that? holding an alligator head in an alligator outfit and sent it back to me. Yeah. Tell me that story one more time. Okay. He, David Lee Roth loved Free Wave Love. He asked me to write him a song. So I wrote him a song called Night Train, like a smooth alligator. He took a picture of himself, a full, full length picture, wearing an alligator costume, holding an alligator head, and sent it to me and saying, love you, smooth alligator Dave. That's Dave right there. <laughs> Yeah, I wish yeah. we would have recorded that song. I know, I know. Uh, but okay, I um, Elvin Jones. Elvin, Baker's Keyboard Lounge. Did you ever go there? Yes. Yeah, on Livernois. I'd go to Baker's Keyboard Lounge and I'd hear Elvin. And I got to be really honest, and nothing's more important than the truth. So the first time I see him, my older buddy who drove, I was like 14, and they let me in because I knew some of the people from my dad. And usually it was like 18 and over. Uh, but anyway, they let me in and I'm looking at my buddy going, man, I feel like this is like the emperor's new clothes. Because you know, we had just read about the emperor's new clothes in, in middle school. It's like the guy is in the parade, but he's naked. And people are going, that is the best looking costume I've ever seen. And I said, it just sounds like a drum set falling down the stairs. It sounds like a pair of sneakers in the dryer. I don't get it, man. I like, you know, Billy Cobham, Buddy Rich, you know organized chops and green. He goes, no, man, you don't get it. Elvin Jones, that whole feel when he's like, ah. I'm going, that doesn't sound right. He goes, it's right. Believe me, it's right. Then we go back and he plays me a Love Supreme. He plays me uh, Wayne Shorter, uh, Night Dreamer with ba-da-da-da. Um, you know, um, his great songs uh, on that. Anyway. I get to North Texas. The only way you could even climb up the ladder in the jazz bands, and there's like 150 drummers there, is if you could demonstrate that you could play a little bit in the style of Elvin, like that Latin swing. Like uh, in some of his songs. And then if you could kind of do the Tony Williams, and then if you could do that, then they would audition you for the top band. And I just say, thank God that I, at 14, went from thinking, that doesn't really sound that great to going, this is the hippest, coolest stuff I ever heard. And I just love Elvin. I took a rock buddy of mine, Myron Grombacher. He was in Pat Benatar's band. He didn't know that much about Elvin, but I took him to Catalina Bar and Grill in LA to see Elvin. I said, Elvin, he goes, hey, man, he gives me this hug. And we're hanging out, we're talking. We, we were pretty close and stuff. But he, I go, this is my buddy, Myron. He doesn't play jazz, he doesn't play swing, but he's the Pat Benatar drummer. Elvin didn't know who Pat Benatar was, but he goes, he grabs him and he kisses him on the lips. Okay. And Elvin had a cold. And the next day, Myron got a cold. Oh, <laughs> he goes, Elvin Jones cool. gave me a cold, man. Yeah. 
Okay. What a heart on Elvin. Okay, I got a few more. Ready? Are you ready? Okay. Mitch Mitchell. Mitch Mitchell. There was a NAM show in, in Nashville, and I see Mitch Mitchell there, and I said, Mitch, you have no idea, man. Manic depression, you know, access bold as love, you know, light up the sky, um, up, up to the skies, all these great songs. I, I, you're one of my biggest influences ever. I said, I'm doing a drum clinic tonight at Mars Music. I'm sure you're busy, but he goes, I'll be there with his English accent. I said, you'll be there? You're going to come to it? He said, I'll be there. I'll be there, mate. So I'm playing this clinic, and there's another drummer playing. He had just finished. And I look out there, and there's Mitch Mitchell. And I had my brother. He had this clinic play-along thing for me. And he had a click track. And bow, bow, bow. Bow, 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 bow. And our friend Doug Bossy's playing guitar and singing. And I said, Mitch, I'm so honored that you're here. There's another drum set. And I've got a, I've got a, a, a dat of, of, of a cover I did with my brother of uh, Man of Depression. Would you play it with me? And he goes, oh, I'd love to. And he comes up on the kit and I'm freaking out. I'm shaking. And I said, Mitch, I, I, I had to do this with a click so I could have it, you know, to play along with that one. Set. So I got the click. He says, you just listen to that click and I'll follow you. And I said, good, because I've been following you since I was 10 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mitch Mitchell, man. Mm. The six-stroke roll, right? Oh, I know you're a big Mitch fan. Oh, I really am because I loved Hendrix, you understand? So I got to ask you about Hendrix. Anything you want to say about Jimmy? <sighs> I have to say one thing. I never had the honor of meeting him, but I was a um, speaker at Ed Shaughnessy's funeral. And Ed and I were really close. And... Uh, he told me before he died, he was doing some gardening at, at Shaughnessy, wasn't he? he? fell out of a tree. And he told me before he passed away that one of his biggest regrets in life was that there's no recorded record of him playing with Hendrix on The Tonight Show. He was playing with Doc Severinsen, right. <clears throat> the suit and ties and everything. Yeah. And Hendrix is the guest. Yeah, I saw it. And Mitch Mitchell had yeah. food poisoning. I couldn't right. play. Right. So Hendrix goes over to Doc Severinsen and goes, you know, real kind of quiet and shy. Could you, could you drummer play with us? Yeah. And so Doc says, would you like to play with Jimmy Hendrix? And he goes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But Doc, on the lunch break, you got to let me go to the store and get, get some, like one of those hip Joey Bishop ties and some bell bottoms and a medallion. So I don't look like a square with my oh, suit. Yeah. He goes, okay, you can do that. So lunch break comes back and they play and he tell this is Ed telling me about Jimmy. Jimmy's got all these stop boxes and he blows the power and the power all goes down. So the lab coat guys come out and they fix it. And they go, okay, don't press any of those pedals. And Jimmy goes, okay. And he looks back at Ed and goes, Pew! and they're playing and having a blast. He said, there were no VHS tape things. Nobody had ways to record it. Nobody knows I played with Hendrix. And a week later he died. Oh, so I thought going to his memorial, I thought, I know somewhere. On YouTube, mm -hmm. I find it. Jimi Hendrix Tonight Show, Flip Wilson, guest host. Mm -hmm. I find it. I make it a copy of it, and I bring it to the memorial. It was no no visual, but it was the audio. And it was their dad, Shaughnessy's dad, playing with Hendrix. I said, your dad was so proud that he got to play with Hendrix. So here we go. And it was oh, so much that's fun. that's beautiful. Jimmy I, I in Kalamazoo, Michigan, Plano, Michigan, saw that. You did? I saw Ed Shaughnessy play drums for Jimi Hendrix. And man. I was like, wow, man, you got guts, bro. And you got guts. guts. He had guts, man. To do that, that took guts because Hendrix was not playing around. No, he wasn't so, playing around. God bless him. God bless him. Oh, my Lord. So, okay, let's let's wrap it. 
I want to say to you, I love you so much. Uh, anything we can ever do in your futures, we're here for you. We adore you because of what you stand for. You stand for the good of people. You stand for the light. You stand for great music. And you have the roots from Detroit, Michigan, as you spread out into the world, which is also very, very, very beautiful. You love, you love the Beatles. Yeah, but check out the Beatles love Detroit. One thing I'm going to share with you, the great engineer was Jeff Emmerich, who I, love I, I got, got to know from Apocalypse and Wired. He told me, he said, we were trying to get the sound of Detroit, of Motown, with Paul McCartney. And he said, it drove me crazy because we couldn't get the same sound that I loved from James Jameson in the UK. And he said, yeah. the only thing I could think of, it was the power. The power yeah. being different is what, yeah. what I think affected why I could not get the same. This is how he explained it to me. I'm just sharing that with you. How much they loved where you they come from. They loved Motown. Where you come from, yeah. yeah and Jeff so, told me one time, he said, you know, uh, I mixed all those Beatles albums with the bass off. He said, he said, high things are loud naturally. Low things need to be louder. So I always mixed without Paul's bass, and then I added it in to zero out the mix. I said, you did that? Yeah, he was a cool guy, man. I love it. Rest his soul. Oh, Greg. So again, this uh, you you give us your message once again. I want so much people to listen to you because you have the spirit, the good spirit. Anything you want to say now before we close off? Go ahead. Just that you know, when I was back in Detroit, Michigan, and heard visions of the Emerald Beyond, if you would have told me back then in 1975 when that came out, and, and and all of us, all my drummer pals. We're just so freaked out by by your sound and your your passion and your groove. And even though you're playing at five and you're playing at all these crazy odd times, you're just making it groove. You and Ralph and Jean-Luc Ponty and uh, Chick's wife, Gail Moran, playing piano and singing, you know, and you're singing and stuff. And we're all just going, what is this? You know, and the China symbol on the 40, ah, and the double bass, you, you kind of started, like you hear a lot of prog bands. I forget which song it was, the second song. Man, I'm down there practicing. If you would have told me in 1975 that we'd become friends and we would be doing this thing on a laptop, and we would be hanging out, I would have just said, no way. I'm so honored, man. And Don Lombardi put us together. Thank you, Don. Oh, there you go. That's right. There you go. What a wonderful man. He said, Narada was asking about your drum school on Drum Channel. And I gave his, I'm putting you guys in touch. I went, you got to be kidding. Thank you, Don. Yes, man, because I was so impressed when I saw you do, Greg. I mean, again, you're not only a great drummer, clean, you know, everything got its per place, but you got soul. You're playing, you're playing like a guy who I know that, is very nice, but when they get on the bandstand, they rip. You just <laughs> rip, and and that's what I understand. You know, everyone's that's nice. You. Off, you know, everyone's nice backstage. Nice, 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 nice. Walk on the bandstand, tiger. You're a tiger. That's you. No, that's you too. You too, tiger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Detroit Tigers. <laughs> We're the Detroit Al K line. Willie Horton. <laughs> Love you, Greg. Thank you for your time, brother.
Hello, everyone. Welcome into the Shop Talk section. This is Mike Dawson, Managing Editor at Modern Drummer. And this week, we are going to take a look at the Roland TD27KV electronic drum set. Uh, Roland put out two kits this year. One is the acoustic design kit, which if you've seen that online, it looks like an acoustic kit with real wood shells. We're going to check that that kit out in a future episode. The other kit that they put out is more like your um, traditional electronic kit by Roland. That's the TD27KV. So what you get is the new um, TD27 module, which has over um, 700 high-quality and fully customizable drum, cymbal, and percussion sounds. It comes with the new 14-inch PD140DS digital snare and the 18-inch CY18DR digital ride. These are cool because they utilize a new USB technology and multi-sensor triggering, which um, it allows a much higher resolution data transfer and nuanced dynamic response per Roland. Um, as a drummer, the 14-inch PD140DS snare it looks and feels more like a real drum. It has a real shell. I think it's a metal shell. Um, it just feels kind of more comfortable like a normal snare. Same thing with the 18-inch ride cymbal. It's bigger. It has a little bit more weight to it. Um, it flexes a little bit more like a cymbal. So the root of your kit, you've got a snare that feels like a snare, a ride that feels like a ride, and then from there we build it out. So what else does it come with? It comes with um, three of the 10-inch PDX100 Tom pads, which have uh, tunable uh, two-ply mesh heads, rubber-coated rims. Um, it comes with a 13-inch three-zone cymbal pad, which has bell, you know, bow, edge, and also um, choke uh, sensors. And then you also get a two a two-zone 12-inch cymbal pad, which gives you bell and and crash sounds. So I put the 13-inch in the left crash position, so I could also ride on it. And then I use the 12 off to the right as an extra crash. Um, the bass drum is the KD-10 kick pad, which is compact, but is very sturdy. It has a mesh striking service, um, so it, it has a nice salt feel. It, it feels real stable, too. Close your eyes and it feels like you're actually kicking a bass drum, even though it's one of those uh, kick towers. Um, what else do you get? Oh, you get the VH-10 hi-hat, um, which has the motion sensor that sits on top of, uh, you know, the, the use a normal hi-hat stand. You have this motion sensor that sits on top of the cup where the bottom symbol would normally be. And then the symbol itself connects to a clutch. Um, so when you play the hi-hat, it feels like you're playing normal hi-hat because the pad actually moves up and down. Um, so again, the snare, the ride, the realistic feeling hi-hat, the nice and sturdy kick drum, that gives you the root of a drum set that just feels pretty normal pretty realistic and then the tom pads are also really nice give you the um you know the, the dual the two ply mesh heads give you that nice nice rebound but not too springy got the rubber rims so you can play rim shots without hitting metal and creating too much noise um, so all in all it's a really compact powerful drum set it comes with a rack that they call the mds standard 2 has all the, you know, all the mounts that you need pre-configured. They're actually positioned already on the rack in a spot that fit me pretty comfortably. Um, okay, so let's talk about the sounds here. So we're going to, actually I don't want to talk too much about the sounds because the video and the audio demo is going to be basically me turning on the module, playing something with preset one, 
stopping, turning them to the next preset, messing around with that sound. So I just kind of scroll through the presets. You've got going to have plenty of audio to check out. Um, in the module, if you want to really get into the nerdy stuff, you can EQ everything, you can apply effects, you can compress it, you can adjust the mix of all the different you know, levels of, of mics and stuff. You can apply more muffling. You can really kind of mess around with it. Um, if that's that's your vibe, I found that I just wanted to turn it on and play. And there were plenty of, you know, preset kits in there that I could just turn it on and jam and not have to worry about building a kit. Um, that's kind of just my aesthetic. You know, there's some really nice rock kits, some nice sounding studio kits. There's a really convincing bebop kit, which I find to be the most difficult thing to achieve on an electronic kit is the nuance required for, you know, subtle jazz playing. I think that's, again, a testament to that new digital ride symbol and digital snare. You need a lot more more subtlety, a lot more um, nuance with your, your different ghost notes and buzzes and shoulder crashes and all that stuff. So it's a really, really cool um, kit. I'm looking here at more specs. So you can also um, upload your own samples if you wanted to. Uh, this is you know, the past couple of years, this is a new thing for Roland. I believe it supports, yeah, up to 32 gigabyte cards. So if you wanted to just go full on, create your own custom kit based on your own samples or samples that you get online or purchase or build from studio sessions, you got all that capability there. Okay. Um, so enough about all of that. Let's, um, oh, I should probably end with the price. So this is not an entry level kit by any imagination. This is a professional level kit. But, you know, since we're all kind of stuck at home for the interim and maybe you're not able to play your acoustic kit because your family or neighbors are home all the time and now's the time to make the plunge. If you're going to do it, um, you might as well go for the best bang for the buck. This kit, the sticker price is $2,999.99. So for under one cent, under $3,000. You get one of the best kits that has ever been built, that Roland has ever made. So, and it doesn't take up a whole lot of floor space. So you could you could stick it into a corner of an office or a bedroom or a basement and not take up a ton of space. So if you're in the market, now be the time to check it out. The Roland TD27KV. Um, all right, so enough yapping. So now we're going to get to me just jamming to the presets. I didn't customize anything in the module. Um, one one thing I did do. I find that for whatever reason, the hi-hat balance that the way these kits come, every manufacturer that I've tested with electronic kits, the hi-hat is just too loud in the mix. And usually the, the hi-hat is what puts most people off to electronic kits from my experience and talking with friends and other drummers. So all I did was just pull the volume of the hi-hat down a bit and then it just it sat in the mix a little bit more naturally and comfortably. So I didn't hear the digitalness of the hi-hat samples quite as much. That's a little trick for you to try. Other than that, I just, you know, was just rocking with what was supplied. Um, so you can hear just from this demo, there's a lot to just turn it on and play and have fun, have people over if you can, and you can jam along with headphones and make very little sound. And the module is super, super deep. So if you want to go even further, check out Roland's literature online. All right, here we go. Here's the demo of me jamming with the Roland TD27KV. Thanks for listening. And then we'll see you next week.
Thank you, everybody, for watching this week's Modern Drummer Podcast. Stay tuned for next week's episode exclusively on Podcast One. Until then, stay safe and healthy, and thanks for listening and watching. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.